Hi and welcome back to Police Stories Podcast. This is uh, a series of short stories about uh, my 28 year career in the UK police force. Uh, my name is Dave. Uh, hopefully you've been finding it interesting so far. We've reached a real milestone. Certainly for me, for other channels will probably laugh at this, but we have achieved a thousand downloads, uh, which I'm made up with. So thanks very much for continuing to listen. Hopefully it will grow, especially if uh, you tell your friends or anyone else who might be interested in, you know, kind of true crime type stories. Um, so this one today then, first of all, what I was going to talk through, we are going to move on to a quite an interesting burglary story, I think. But uh, I just wanted to talk through a, a sort of a shift for you. Now, one thing I would say is in the police, there is absolutely no such thing as an average shift. And that's the appeal to many people, you know, including me. Um... So the reality is that um, you come on shift, let's say it's a, a night shift, for example, obviously tend to be busier at the weekends, you know, you're sort of Friday, Saturday nights with pubs and clubs, but not always. Um, sometimes, you know, you come in on a Tuesday night thinking, oh, I've got some paperwork to do and hopefully um, won't be too many calls and I'll be able to get all that stuff squared away. And then you have an absolute crazy night, you know, where all sorts happens and you don't get a second, you know, and you pick up about three more jobs sort of thing. So that definitely happens. And other times, you know, on occasions, you can have a Friday or Saturday night where not a lot happens. It, it is very random and you never truly know what's going to go on. So you come in for a, a, let's say, a night shift and there'll be you and your team. The team will be led by a sergeant um, and that sergeant will take a briefing at the beginning of the shift. <coughs> Excuse me. And... Uh, so you'll sit down and the sergeant will go through, if you've got an inspector, they might be there as well. So, you know, uh, certainly one of my earlier shifts, there was maybe 10 PCs, there was a sergeant and there was an inspector. And we would all go to the briefing at the beginning of the shift. You'd be allocated uh, your call sign for the day, various call signs, depending on sort of what area you're working. So you get a call sign, you'd get who you're working with for the day. Um, and also you'd be told about probably the last, you know, kind of 24, 48 hours, what's been going on in the local area police-wise because there may well be some follow-up work. You know, if someone um, needed to give a statement, you know, in the early hours of the night before but was drunk, obviously you can't take a statement from them when they're drunk, so you might be sent back first thing in the morning, you know, to get a statement from them. Um, there's all sorts of things you could be told about. Uh, certainly if there'd been a particular problem in an area, let's say antisocial behaviour, you know, sort of teenagers use running wild, you know, you may well be directed to every spare time you get, we want you to go there and patrol around that area because we're looking to prevent that. You might be told, in fact, that's what this story is about. You might be told that, you know, we've been hit really hard for burglaries in this particular area. Um, so again, could you be in that area? And what you're looking to do then is you may have in your mind, you know, uh, the person who's uh, committing these burglaries if you sort of keep up to date with your local villains and also you're looking uh, you know on the, on the sort of briefings that are online you know within the police and looking at the intelligence and maybe the MO we talked about that last week the modus operandi latin for kind of how the crime was uh, committed so if you're looking at the MO and it's very specific MO you know you might think well actually I know that you know the person who does that is generally so and so and he lives in that area so um, we'll have a look at him. Now, we also talked, I think it was last week, about the fact that now you need extra authorities if you want to carry out directed surveillance on a specific individual, as opposed to being in an area and something happening spontaneously. 
But at the time of this story, that wasn't in play. So we could direct surveillance to an individual. And what you're looking to do when you're in these areas is obviously a high vis kind of, you know, patrol. So you're in a marked car and a uniform car. You're hoping to prevent crime and put people off. Um, but also you need to be, you know, putting hands in pockets, as they used to say. So um, if you've got uh, the opportunity and if you've got the grounds and the powers, then really you should be stop searching people because that's how you're going to pick up your self-generated work. Now, this is a skill that has been lost a little bit in the police, I feel, certainly in my sort of latter years of service. And the reason for that is I think because there's very much now, there's less people, there's more work because without a doubt, for example, mental health work, you know, has become a huge thing in the police, you know, probably... 50% of the work is, is somehow linked to sort of mental health. Um, you're doing the job, you know, of the NHS in some respects of the hospitals, you know, not their fault again, because I know they're on their knees in terms of resourcing. Um, so there's very much this job to job culture, you know, you generally, you finish one job, you update the control room, and, uh, and actually on to the next job, you know, you don't get much downtime. And if you do, don't get during that time, you need to be going out and, and carrying on your own investigations. You know, cops nowadays, depending on where you work, could have anything from sort of five to 25 individual crime reports that have been assigned to them. And you need to continue the inquiries with those. You know, every week, you know, your sergeant probably wants to be seeing some sort of update on that job. Now, that might be did some house-to-house -house inquiries, you know, read that burglary I took the details of. Um, took a witness statement from so-and-so, you know, after that assault in the town centre, you know. But these are sort of things. So downtime, if you're not going to another job, you might need to be making appointments to sort of pick up, uh, you know, this investigation or these investigations. So it is a luxury to have, you know, to actual spare time, downtime, that you could be doing self-generated work. But certainly I always used to teach, you know, my tutees when I was a tutor. And... And, you know, in my latter years, when I was put with younger cops, even though I wasn't officially tutoring them, you know, because I was seen as the old sweat, the old dinosaur, you know, they would perhaps look to me to impart some, dare I say it, wisdom, you know. Um, but things like, you know, we'd be driving around. Now, most people are convinced that, you know, the police are harassing you if they stop and speak to you. The vast majority of the time, you know, we call it the power of hello. Uh, and that's very much like that in the sort of security world. And even um, in the counter-terrorism world, when I used to be doing training for security guards um, and uh, and people like that staff at venues, you'd be saying to them, this power of hello is really important because you imagine Mr. and Mrs. Bad Guy is walking around and they're trying to get a feel. They might be carrying out what's called a hostile recce, you know, so they're going to look at a potential target site. And they're interested in, you know, what's the security like there? Am I going to be challenged? You know, what's the CCTV like? I might film the CCTV. I might even give myself a running commentary when I'm walking around the location to say, right, there's three security guards. They're paying me no attention at all. They're just looking at their phones. I can't see any CCTV or I can see two cameras, but they're both facing away. You know, this is the sort of thing a bad guy or girl wants to look at. So that power of hello is really important. And all we were looking to do was the security, literally to walk up to people that kind of looked a bit lost, not even necessarily suspicious, but just looked like they perhaps didn't belong or didn't know where they were going. Just walk up and say, hi, yeah, how's it going? Can I help at all? Because if that is a bad guy or girl, you're just showing them that you've spotted them, you know, and you're, you're uh, aware of their presence. And it gives you a little chance, depending on their answers, to, to gauge them. And that's very much the same in the, in the policing world, you know, so... 
uh, early hours of the morning, you know, three o'clock in the morning, it's perfectly legitimate for me to pull up next to somebody, you know, who's walking along the street. So, hi, yeah, how's it going? You okay? You know, and, and they're shocked and surprised. But if you open it friendly, um, you know, you, you can find out all sorts. You know, sometimes they're absolutely fine. Go, yeah, just on my way to work. You know, and you might have to say to them, you know, it's early hours of the morning. We've had a few burglaries in this area. Do you mind if I just ask uh, where you're off to? You know, that, yeah, yeah, I've just left my friend's house. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm heading home now. You know, I've got work early. And I went, yeah, no problems at all. Thanks ever so much for your time. That's all it takes. Do you know what I mean? That's perhaps what's lost a bit. And that's not the cop's fault. I think it's twofold. I think it's they don't have the time. And I also think possibly because there's been this break or this busyness, it's not been passed down to them by their tutor because the tutor perhaps never had it either because there's this job to job culture, you know, and if you get a moment's breathing space, you probably want to go and get a coffee or go to the loo, you know, then start putting hands in pockets. But, you know, that's in an ideal world what you'd be doing. So, yeah, we stop and talk to people, you know, certainly early hours in the morning to establish what they're up to. And we might be able to uh, have grounds for a search off the back of chatting to them because let's, you know, most uh, laws, there's a lot of laws in UK law that have a power of search attached to them. You know, firearms, the theft act, um, there's absolutely loads, virtually any power you can think of drugs, you know, will have a power of search attached to it. So to carry out those searches, all you need is reasonable grounds. Reasonable grounds of suspicion that they may be in possession of drugs, for example. So, you know, I come around the corner and there's a guy smoking what clearly looks like a massive joint. I come around the corner, he has a shifty sideways look at me and then chucks it over the book, you know, over the fence. You stop and speak to him, their cannabis is a really strong smell. So the moment you get out, even though he tried to blow it away from you, you can smell the cannabis immediately. If he's just been smoking it, it'll be all over his clothes. He'll stink of it, you know. Um, so that alone is, is enough grounds for a search under, you know, the Drugs Act. No problems at all with that. Equally, uh, and people will moan, you know, you're harassing me, you haven't got a power, where's your warrant? That's something you hear all the time. Where's your warrant? You know, people who have no clue about the law. Now, potentially, you can search people's houses as well under various different circumstances without warrants. Um, it's just having that knowledge of the law and knowing sort of how and when to apply it. Um, but another scenario might be, and that's the sort of thing we were looking at on the job I'll tell you about today, was, um, uh, you know, if you're getting hit by, say, burglaries in the area, you think it's Joe Blobs, the local burglar. So you're drifting around the area, what we call patrol speed, you know, 20 mile an hour, very slow, windows wound, wound down, you're listening. Every now and then, personally, I'm stopping and I'm turning the engine off and I'm listening because I can hear stuff, you know, a long way away. And equally, the bad guys and girls that are, out you know screwing cars or whatever they're doing can hear my engine coming a long way off so it wasn't uncommon for us to park up and have a little walk around because again you'd be amazed you know what you'll come across and who you'll surprise um but if you you know if you had a, a burglary in an area or a series of burglaries in an area you stop a guy and you've got a description particularly if it's just happened if he fits the description then 100 percent he's getting stopped and searched um under the theft act because you're looking for stolen items we've also got a brilliant law in the UK called going equipped. So in some scenarios, a burglar knows that if he's just screwed a house and he's got a swag bag full of, you know, all his stolen booty on him, it's very identifiable. If you stop and search him and you find that stuff, he's getting nicked for sure. Because obviously, you know, you know he's got the stuff on him from the burglary. So he or she, you know, really wants to get rid of that stuff very, very quickly. Um, however, what they generally won't get rid of is the tools that are trade. So if they're going out to, to burgle houses, 
um, they're probably going to have on them. You know, they might have a pair of gloves, although we'll talk about that later. Um, but they could have a balaclava, some sort of mask. You know, that's not uncommon. They might have pliers. They might have screwdrivers. They might have a jemmy, which is, you know, a small crowbar, a small metal bar or something used to pry the window or a door open. Now, under the going equip law, not only has it got a search power, so let's say you turn up someone at three in the morning in an area of high burglary who fits the description for a burglar either that night or another night, that might well be enough reasonable grounds for, for a search under the going equipped laws. And what you're looking for is those tools of the trade. Now, you don't have to necessarily suspect them of carrying out a burglary, but if you find those items on them during that search, that's enough for them to get lifted for going equipped. And Scotland has a similar law, it's called something else. Uh, and the circumstances have to be slightly different, but really good power, really good law. Um, but the burglars know this, so they did start to try and overcome this stuff and, and sort of uh, do things slightly differently, which we'll talk about on this job. So going right back to the beginning, then we talked about, you've got assigned your car at your briefing at the beginning of the shift, you've been told what's been happening and any intel and information. You're now crewed up with your partner and you're out and about and you're probably in your marked car, well, occasionally, if they had, dare I say, and there's other cops here rolling their eyes and sucking their teeth going, spare people, but if you had spare people or perhaps an extra car, they might decide to put those people into plain clothes and put out a plain car as well. That's the icing on the cake, you know, because that gives you loads of um, possibilities throughout the night. You get a call to, you know, suspicious people in the area. You don't send your marked car, you send your plain car first, and they have a little drift around and have a look what these people are up to. Um, so... This is us. I was crewed up with a really switched on colleague, um, a very, very uh, good cop and took a real interest in her job in terms of intel, you know, made it her business to know who the local, you know, bad guys and girls were, where they lived, how they dressed, what their MO was, you know, really, really good cop. So we're out and night. We had been hit for a series of burglaries um, in a particular area. So she said to me at the beginning shift, I'll tell you what, tonight we're going to float around Joe Bloggs' house. You know, we're going to be around his house, all in the area where he's been screwing these houses. I'm sure it's him from the description. And I said, absolutely, I'm up for that. You know, because one thing cops love more than anything is to catch a burglar red-handed. It's very rare. I only managed it twice in my career. And this is one of the occasions. But um, yeah, when you get a, quite often they call it an intruders on call or persons on, you know, we've got, you get a call from a homeowner or the neighbour who says, I know they're away on holiday, but there's it's three in the morning, there's definitely someone crashing around in their house and I've heard broken glass, you know, that sort of thing. It's And I can see torchlights, you know, coming from inside the house. That's an intruder's on call. That's one of the best calls you're going to get as a cop because all the cop cars will be racing there. You're desperate to catch someone red-handed. Um, so we're driving around this area and I think we'd searched a couple of people, you know, we knew we were in the right area. The description uh, was, was fairly generic. And this is where you get this little bit of a grey area. You know, if it's a white male in a, you know, a white t-shirt and blue jeans, obviously that's so generic, you're probably going to need a little bit more to sort of justify a search. But when it's a bit more specific, you know, got a red baseball cap on, you know, carry in a blue rucksack or something, that, that obviously then just spices it up enough that that'll give you a ground. So... On this night, we'd, we'd stopped and we'd searched um, at least two people in this area. They've, we'd found nothing on them, so we fill out a quick form. We apologise and thank them for their time, you know, and, and on their way. And sometimes people, you know, if you explain to them what you're doing and you're okay with them, generally they're all right. But, I mean, obviously, you do get the odd arse, you know, it's not, um, it's not a given. But uh, 
so be it. And, and unfortunately, sometimes it'll end up in a roll around and an arrest for an assault on you or something because people, you know, will say, you haven't got the power, you're not searching me, get your hands off me, etc. It only goes downhill from there, but so be it. Um, so early hours of the morning, and what happens was, sure enough, a burglary call comes in fairly nearby our burglar Joe Bloggs house. And, um, you know, no description of the person, but, you know, they've had some stuff away. So we drove straight to this guy's house and we parked up about, um, I don't know, 50 metres, you know, kind of 100 yards or something away from his house in a line of parked cars. Now, we were in uniform, we were in a marked car, but we tucked ourselves in between some other parked cars and bearing in mind it's dark, there's only street lighting. And we just sat up so that we had a view of the front of his house and we just thought we'd wait. Two cars immediately went to the burglary and they were dealing with you know the victim and also finding out what had actually been stolen and also sort of searching in the immediate area but we went straight to this guy's house and we communicated this to our colleagues so they knew what was happening and we waited so uh you know hopefully we weren't gonna have to wait too long but we were quite prepared to stay there all night if we had to because this guy might well have gone on to do you know three other burglaries so if it was indeed him which we didn't know at that point so we sat up and we're waiting sure enough we've only been there about 15 minutes and fantastically, there's a person walking down the road towards us. Now, we don't know if it's him, but certainly there aren't many people walking around at three in the morning, depending on where you live and work. Um, the exception being if you live like near an international airport or whatever, you know, you get cleaners very early in the morning. But generally, obviously, there's not that many people about. So this guy's walking towards us and we can't really see, you know, it's at night, it's dark and it's, you know, he's in a distance. So we're not sure it's him, but we're watching him obviously closely. Anyway, he walks up, he doesn't see us, which is great. And he turns and goes in through the front gate of the house of Mr. of Joe Bloggs, you know, our burglar. And as he turns, he closes the gate behind him that leads to his front door. Now, we've already cracked the doors and we're getting out because even if this isn't our man, but chances are it is going into his house, we're going to stop and speak to this guy, bearing in mind there's just been a burglary. But as we both get out, we're still looking at him and we recognise that it's our man. And he, as, he, as his hand extends and he closes that gate behind him, I can see something white on his hands. Now, it takes a second. I'm a bit slow at the best of times, but it takes a second or two for your brain to figure out what you're looking at. But I suddenly realised and I said to my colleague, he's got something on his hands, something white on his hands as we sort of start to walk towards him. And then we both clicked at once. It was a pair of socks or both of his hands had something white on. So he had a pair of socks on. Now, this is what I was saying about, you know, burglars being a bit switched on and adapting. They didn't carry gloves anymore because they knew if they get caught with gloves and a swag bag and, you know, a screwdriver and all that, they're going to get lifted for going equipped. So what they started doing was they go to a job and then just prior to breaking in, they take their shoes and socks off and put their socks on their hands, ready-made gloves that don't look like gloves, but still prevent fingerprints and DNA going onto the address. So both at once, we had this light bulb moment and realized that he's wearing socks on his hands. And then I also realized he was carrying a white bag, which I couldn't see to start with. It had been the other side of him. But as he turned to close the gate, he held it in his other hand. So it was a small white bag. And of course, instantly I realized it was a pillowcase. Once again, burglars don't carry swag bags with stripes on it. You know, it's a bit obvious. So what they do is when they get into their house, they're screwing they take the pillows out of the pillowcases and now they've got a ready-made bag that they can stuff their loot into. So this was our man. So we realized straight away. So what we didn't do is what you see on all the cop shows that they wait until they're about 30 or 40 yards away from the bad guy. Then they shout, stop police. And I'm surprised when he turns and is away on his toes. 
Um, you know, I appreciate it probably makes better telly than you just walking up and getting hold of it. It's not very exciting as a foot chase, but it always frustrates me that one. Anyway, digressing. Sure enough, though, it, you know, bearing in mind it's the time in the morning, he's just done a burglary, so he's, you know, pretty uh, eyes all about anyway. Uh, sure enough, he sees us coming, so he realises exactly who we are, so he turns and runs. So, of course, we're now on our toes. We're putting up on the on the radio. We've got runners at Joe Bloggs' house. All the cops, you know, on our team knew what we were going to do. So they knew exactly where we were and what was going on. So he keeps hold of his swag bag with his socks on his hands still, and he runs down the side of his house. He doesn't go to the front door and straight into the back garden and disappears from our side. But we're quite close behind him now. We're only sort of 20 or 30 uh, feet behind him. As soon as we get to his back garden, we go down the side of his house. There's a not a massive garden. It's, I don't know, about sort of 50 metres by 20 metres, something like that, totally enclosed by a six-foot high fence. It's got very, very high grass in it, about five feet high grass hasn't been cut for months. And there's a series of bits of sort of crap and rubbish and there's like an upturned sofa and there's an old trailer and various bits of, you know, plastic and sort of tarpaulins and things hanging about. He's disappeared. Now, we knew there's no way he could have shimmied over one of those fences before we came around that corner. So we were looking out, you know, we were convinced he was still in the garden. Now, what we didn't want to do was go blundering into the garden because we knew we were going to call a police dog. And because we knew there was one on duty and we'd already spoken to them and said what we were intending to do that night. So what we did was we immediately went to the, one of us stayed in the garden. I went to the outside of the fence and so did my colleague then once I had a view on the garden to make sure he didn't slip out. She got to the other side of the fence. So we got a very brief containment on a poor one, you know, with holes in it, but we were basically either side of his garden. And of course, bearing in mind, this is the early hours of the morning. It wasn't windy, very still. So any movement you hear instantly, you can literally hear a pin drop, you know. So he hasn't left that garden. We immediately got, you know, other cars there because they knew what we were doing. So we put uh, two other cops down the end of the garden. Now we've got a good containment on this garden. No one's getting in or out of this garden without us being aware. We called the dog van and the dog van's on his way. Um, so it's a really nice sort of containment and we were really hoping. And we made a big point as well on the radio saying, yeah, and, you know, nice and loud. Yeah, call the dog van. Yeah, can I have the dog unit, please? We've got the garden contained. He's definitely within the garden. Yeah, that's right. The really big dog with the massive sharp teeth that hates burglars. Yeah, we'll have that one. Because much as it's amusing and it sounds a bit ridiculous, at that point, I've had several people just stand up and go, all right, don't bring the dog. You know, they hate dogs. They're terrified of them. So they're like, all right, all right, I'll give up. You got me. You know, they just do not want to play with dogs because they know it's going to hurt. Um, so that's quite effective. I've even heard of stories, uh, and again, I've actually heard it once at a job, uh, albeit ridiculously, where you had cops kind of pretending to bark like dogs in an effort to try and, you know, flush people out, which is a bit ridiculous, but um, apparently it's worked. So I was told, you know, but whether that's one of those uh, urban legends again, I don't know. So we got our containment on, dog vans coming. Sure enough, doggy arrives, dog uh, leads into the back garden. And initially, they have to give a warning. So it's like, police officer with a dog, show yourself or I'll release the dog. You know, that's the sort of thing he says. But because they say it like, you know, a million times a day, they've got it off pat. They blurt it out so quickly that you can barely hear what they're saying. But we all knew what it meant. And without a doubt, so did Mr. Burglar. So just down below in front of me, when I was looking over the fence, was this upturned sofa. And I was pretty confident he was probably under that. It was the obvious spot for him to be hiding in. Um, sure enough, Doggy gets released, has a sniff around the garden. 
and then uh, quite loud sort of searching and sniffing. You could hear him coming uh, and we were waiting and suddenly this sofa that's in front of me basically explodes upwards and outwards and Joe Bloggs is off and running and he's charging towards the back fence. He needs to get away from this dog. He knows he's going to get chomped. But unfortunately for him, oh dear, how sad, he never made it. So he gets halfway up the fence before the furry exocet is on him and basically is chomping him and takes a great big chunk out of his backside and drags him back down into the garden. Now, generally, they get him by the arms or perhaps the legs and rag the bad guys about a bit. But this one was having the time of its life. This was a proper furry crocodile and he was chomping this guy's body and his arms, his legs, you know, now the dog handler's running towards him, screaming for him to get off. But I think quite frankly, the dog was enjoying himself so much, he wasn't going to stop. Um, and I was too, quite frankly, because, you know, this burger has caused a lot of uh, pain and suffering in his life to people. So I wasn't feeling too sad for him, I've got to be honest. Um, so he gets properly chomped before the dog comes off him and we get hold of him. And uh, sure enough, it's a fantastic little job because we go to under the sofa and what do we find? We find a pillowcase and a pair of socks that he's taken off his hands. Inside that pillowcase is like a PlayStation. Uh, we knew by now what had been stolen at the burglary. So there's a PlayStation which we knew had gone. He even told us, oh, I was playing such and such game last night. So we knew what game was within the PlayStation. Sure enough, that was the same. We found the guy's driving license at the house that had just been burgled. We found a cash point card in that guy's name. I mean, it was a lovely little job, you know, really tied up nicely. Um, so, yeah, it was a great job. And obviously, Mr. Burglar gets lifted, uh, got taken to hospital first because he needed treatment for a few dog bites. Uh, he was quite frankly glad to be arrested. He just wanted the dog to stop biting him. And I can't say I blame him. This dog had really messed him up. Um, but, you know, sort of career burglars accept that this is a game of cat and mouse and what's going to happen is sometimes he'll win and he'll get away with burglaries. Sometimes we win, you know, and we'll catch him and arrest him. And then every, you know, few months or whatever years, uh, he gets locked up for, you know, two or three years. Then he's out again and burgling, you know, and if you work in an area 10 or 15 years as a cop, you're going to know your burglar so well because you've probably lifted them, you know, two or three times throughout their burgling career. They just accept it. That's their chosen job and that's kind of how it is. The other thing they do is each time they get arrested, when they get interviewed and they're admitting to a burglary, let's say they've done 50 burglaries, which sounds terrible, but it could well be 50 burglaries um, over a period of months. They won't just admit to the one they were caught red-handed for. They will do what they call uh, TICs at an interview, so taken into consideration. They will admit every single burglary and anything they've ever done wrong. Because what they don't want to do is admit one or two burglaries and leave out the other 10 they've done. And then three months, six months later, when the DNA comes back on a burglary they've done previously, they've not told us about, and they're shown as the suspect. Uh, they'll be rearrested, recharged, potentially go back to court, and will get extra time added on their sentence. So they're very keen when they're arrested and interviewed to basically come clean and admit, you know, every burglary they've ever done. Because that way they know that the slate is quite clean they go to prison and that's it they're not getting any more time and when they come out they can start their burglary career again and that's invariably what they do unfortunately you know this is just a, a round robin now you can imagine if you've got 10 of those in a small town you know these 10 people are responsible for every single break-in you've got um and at any one time you know three of them will be in prison so there's now seven out doing all your burglaries and they could do two or three a night each you know so it is very much an epidemic some of it's for money to earn of a living, vast majority is, you know, to support a drugs habit.
So there we go. So yeah, it's a nice little job. Mr. Burglar got uh, uh, chomped for his troubles. We caught the bad guy and recovered, you know, the stuff. Um, so it was it was a nice little job. And and all, you know, as far as I'm concerned, good coppering, you know, not necessarily by me, but by my colleague being switched on enough to say, I know who this is because I've done my homework and we're going to sit up and catch them, you know. Um, and that is what you need, you know. You need uh, a, a few good cops like that you know, who, who really want to make a difference. And I know that sounds a right cheesy line, doesn't it? But, but honestly, you know, they can. So that's it. Episode 20. Another burglary one with a little sprinkling of a few other bits in there as inevitably there always is with me. Thanks very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. As you know, we're on uh, YouTube, Police Stories Podcast, and we're on all the various um, sort of podcasty type platforms. You should find us fairly easily. Uh, got quite a few more to go, so hopefully you still keep coming back. And thanks very much for those downloads. I'll speak to you soon. Take it easy. Cheers. Bye.